Hello and welcome to In Good Company on NCS Radio, a monthly show for working women with me, Otega Uagba, the founder of Women Who, which is a London-based community for working women. This month we're coming to you live from the Basic Store, a lifestyle concept store on Monmouth Street. Monmouth Street, have I pronounced that right? Monmouth Street. And actually live for the first time ever in our history. Um, I'm really happy to be here because Marina and I have been sort of talking and DMing via Instagram for about a year now about doing something together and I've always loved the basic store. I don't know if any of you guys have been to the pop-ups before in Notting Hill and on Redchurch Street, but it's beautiful as you can see. Um, so I'm glad that we could finally make this happen. Um, and this is probably a good point at which to introduce Marina, um, who is this month's guest, although she's not really a guest because she's kind of hosting us, seeing us we're actually in her space, but you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, so this evening I'm going to be chatting with Marina Gogova, who's the founder of not one but two businesses the basic store which is where we are now in case you somehow missed that and also marina london which is a gorgeous women's fashion brand that specializes in silk basics and which is actually also stocked here if uh, you might have seen it upstairs and if you guys want to kind of have a little browse and shop afterwards and you'll be able to kind of stick around and ask us questions if you want to and just kind of chat and have a few more drinks um so marina i'm just going to dive straight in how on earth do you balance running two businesses at the same time I have to say, I think when you do two businesses, one of them naturally takes front stage just out of the love for it. So the basic store at the moment has definitely taken center stage for me. Marina London is my other business, which kind of happens quite naturally because I've been doing it for about seven years now. So it just kind of ticks along and I've got an incredible studio assistant who helps me with it. And... So that's kind of happening on the on the side quite nicely and I don't have to put too much effort into it, okay. which allows me to develop the basic store in a way that I would uh, like for it to develop. Mm. And yeah, I think we're probably going to talk a bit more about the basic store this evening, um, but I do want to find out a little bit about Marina London first. So you say you've been doing that for about seven years. How did that come about? Like, what was your background? Do you have like a fashion degree or background in design how does that really happen so I went to Central St Martins which I guess is what a lot of people do Mm. if they go into fashion and then afterwards I worked around did a few placements and then I had to think about what my career would be and my kind of I don't know my career as it would go on and I was thinking you know no one's kind of doing anything interesting uh, with silk and it was my graduation collection that led me to Um, start using silk crepe de chine which is um, this amazing heavyweight silk that I use a lot in my collections and I decided to specialize in silk because it makes life a lot easier than um, trying to do a lot of um, other types of fabrics as well okay so you find one uh, manufacturer of silk Mm. and then that way it's very easy to um, supply um, the silk to to the brand yeah how did you go about sort of when you kind of had this idea and you've kind of spoken to factories and mm-hmm. you know you have all these different these different patterns how did you go about say for instance getting your first stockist or have, have you mm-hmm. had stockists or is it sort of mostly online on the website so when I first started I had a few stockists um, and that's always actually been one area which um, is I've never really enjoyed that much is the wholesale side of uh, the fashion business why is that it's just very hard to get into the uh, the big retailers mm. and they so, take a huge cut from yes a huge margin, I mean they really heard. do but you know it makes sense they want to um, be in a safe place they don't want to take any risks for their company yeah so 
they make the terms very hard for a young designer mm. to take part in Selfridges and mm. be a part of their retail um, selection. So if they take you, uh, it's very much actually a cost to you. So it will cost you to be there mm. uh, at the end of it. But it's about the exposure and being yes. able to say, I'm stopped exactly. at this store and this store. And if you can afford to start off your business that way and have that investment, which is a huge investment, you know, they were talking about 30 grand order, which they... Th- they said I would have to upfront, and then they would pay me three months after it was delivered. And it's, it's just little things like that that I just thought wholesale is um, just not targeted for smaller businesses. Mm. And so wholesale was something I worked with for a little bit. Mm. And then I decided to try and completely take it out of my business model okay. and just not do wholesale. Is so that quite rare for a brand like that? For like a sort of fashion brand? I guess it is because when everyone starts, you're taught that you should be on net porter mm. and you should be in um, lots of uh, retailers. But I think nowadays because, you know, of social media, of a lot of other factors which really help young brands um, start off, you don't have to do wholesale. So that's something I decided not to continue with so at that point you then kind of I guess retreat from that and we're just selling it direct to consumer mm. through your own website yeah and this was about four years down the line so oh, by right, that time okay. we had a, like a good client following. base following um we use Instagram quite a lot and people started to trust in shopping with smaller retailers like myself so you know something like six years ago seven years ago you wouldn't go online and feel very comfortable about um, ordering with a small brand because it's so think, true you know is my product going to arrive is this website legitimate mm. um, you know does this brand really exist mm. in a way so now everyone when they put an order through us they know it's going to arrive in two three days yeah and it feels like you're discovering something new I think that's kind of why I like shopping with like independent mm. like smaller brands it feels like I'm not just going into sort of the big department store and buying all the same stuff that everybody else has I feel like I'm quite unique I'm like oh I've discovered Marina London through Instagram and I'm the only one that knows about it apart from all your thousands of other followers but it feels much more like you're making a choice that kind of speaks to your own taste as opposed to just going along with what the department stores say you should be buying absolutely and I think the point that you made about discovery Mm. is a really important one for now because Instagram is about discovery still and Whenever you discover something, you feel like it's really special and you yep. want to commit to it and there's a story. And now there's, you know, people love the big question of why. Why did you start your brand? Why did you do this store? And so there has to be substance. Mm-hmm. You can't just kind of start it on a whim. You you need to have had a reason. And usually, you know, good ideas are born out of a necessity. Yeah. So actually that brings us very nicely onto the idea for the basic store. Why did you decide to set it up? And when was it? It was five years ago now? Four. Four years yeah, ago. Yeah, four okay. years. So what was the idea behind that? Um, so I started it because um, I actually wanted to do a pop-up by myself. And then I just started looking for spaces and the branch was in huge. And the way to solve it was to invite a few of my friends and we can share the rent. And then... Um, start selling together okay so that's why I set it up was out of a a need and a want to kind of reach my audience which was online and so to have a pop-up for Marina London yeah okay but also you know if you have a pop-up with just silks it's very boring Mm. whereas if you bring your other friends or acquaintances or people you've met that do great product and you create a space like this it becomes something 
uh, a lot more exciting. Well, I feel like the element of discovery becomes mm. really important because I think that's why a space like this works so well. Like, I, To be honest, I think I've heard of maybe a quarter of the brands that you have in here before I walked in. But then every time I've come in here, I've been like, oh, actually, here's another brand like of Jesse Harris Jewelry or Lombardi, you know, all these different brands. And I go out and then I follow them on Instagram. So it kind of works well, this kind of cross-pollination of like brands and followers. So maybe I'm coming in here from Marina London, but I walk out with a pair of like... Anna Walker, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it's kind of like a real life sort of Instagram yeah, in a way. It is exactly it. I mean, it's, it sounds strange, but I think that's how I find a lot of the brands is through, when I say curating, I'm actually going on Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> just going into a hole and looking for brands that are doing great things, but don't have a physical retail platform. Yeah. And then inviting them to come along and join the space and you know, it's a very it's a community project. It doesn't really make money at all mm. um, at the end of the day because we just share the rent. Yeah, everyone pays rent, and then any money that anyone makes is their own money. Okay. Um, I don't take commission. Okay. Everything goes towards Gosh, the rent. That's pretty yeah. bold. That's different from the model that I would have expected. Yeah, it's not it's not someone it's not something that someone's going to invest in yet. Mm. Yeah, I've had a lot interest for from someone that wants to invest, but they said right now this is a charity kind of community project mm. and and it that's the way it started mm. so and with because obviously you've done these pop-ups now for like four years consecutively is the aim or like the kind of end goal for the basic store for it to be like a permanent space or do you like kind of having the seasonal pop-up vibe to it uh i always say that my goal is never to have a permanent space oh really no it's um i think the main reason behind it is that it, it would just I'd find it boring mm. being in the same place. And mm. also just in terms of commitment to the space, you have to be here the whole time. Mm. It's like a really good family restaurant. You have to, <laughs> you, you know, the, the owner has to be there. Yeah. He has to greet everyone. You have to put love into it. You can't just, you know, build it up and then leave the place. You yeah. have to be here. It's a real passion project. Mm. And I think if I owned a permanent space, I would just never take holiday. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, and plus I love moving around yeah it's I was so about to good. say is that an aspect of it that you like yeah. because you've done what were the areas that you've done the basic so we did in three now? in Shoreditch mm-hmm. one in Notting Hill and then this is our fifth one here okay. and I always wanted to do a central London one yeah and I suppose so. each time you're kind of picking up a different kind of clientele it's like mm. the East London crowd yes, West London yeah. crowd and now this is like central London like mm. maybe more touristy and like office workers and that kind of thing so from a strategic point of view it also makes sense because you then take that following with you yes yeah that's really yeah it's really interesting the way you in you know for example in East London the kind of person would come in you gather that information and those people and you understand what they're looking for and then you come here and it's very much the person that works in in the center of London mm-hmm. you have a lot of tourists it just feeds so much data into my head about retail yeah in general um, and it's something that I never realize how important it is until you're actually in the shop how important what is um just the awareness of customers and what they're looking for in the different areas of london yeah that's true actually because you must Um, really see like just a marked difference yeah i mean notting hill for example is families yeah hardly any tourists and less footfall shopping habits are different and does that change what you buy in stock for each year or is it that must be quite hard to anticipate maybe you kind of realize that like Mm. halfway through and then it's like okay we need to change this you know what we're stocking slightly i mean i tend to select the designers and then we work together on creating a curation let's say of their things Mm 
Uh, but every time we open the store, I don't change the curation accordingly to the area. Okay. I, I, we tend to react to the way people are shopping okay. as we go on. Got it. Yeah. And in terms of running, because this is something I'm really intrigued by, like running a um, a physical kind of bricks, because you were sort of doing retail before because you had Marina London, which is a fashion brand that is retail, but then you moved into doing like a physical bricks and mortar like retail store. How did you learn about that? Because from what I know from other people who've done it, it's pretty complicated. So what was your kind of background? Like what was the kind of, how did you learn the business side of setting up a place like this? Yeah, it was very trial and error. Okay. I think the very first place we opened, which was on Redshirt Street, was a 250 square foot space, mm. which was very small. What's, what's, what's the square footage of this space? So this is seven times bigger. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's much gotcha. bigger. I mean, the gotcha. first one was very small. Okay. We had just seven brands mm. and very small selection. And it was very much, it wasn't set up in a way where the basic store was supposed to become anything. It was just a means of us putting our things in there, but it had to have a name. So I was just thinking, what could the name be? And it's then, a really good name. Yeah. It's like, well, it's, it's not like it's, a, one of those names you just kind of pluck out of thin air and then you kind of have to like get rid of after a while. Like it yeah. really works. Weirdly, it came quite quickly. I mean, it's a very easy name, obviously. Mm. Um, <laughs> and funnily enough, you know, the whole Kate Moss incident where she was on a plane and then she called someone oh a basic something. Yeah, that came a week before we opened. So everyone came in the store and that was just the running joke. Of That's so funny. Being so basic. It's named after. Um, which is great, that. which is why we have a sense of humour in here. I don't yeah. want to take it seriously. We have swear words everywhere. Yes, I've yeah. seen. The uh, older customers come in and they, they kind of just... Would that work in Notting Hill, do you think? <laughs> it, it did. It did it, really? Yeah, that was one of our hero pieces with the F-plates. Oh, right, okay. Guys, look out for those. Yeah, you can swear on the podcast. Oh, There'll be a little explicit warning on iTunes, <laughs> but um, it's yeah. all good. What was the reception like? Actually, I'm quite intrigued. What was the reception like when you first opened, or I suppose at each stage, because you've had multiple openings? Like, What was your press strategy? Did you have like a PR? Like, How did mm. you get the word out there? To be honest, actually, my the PR is probably my least strong side of the whole uh, business. You've had really good coverage, though. <laughs> so. I think it's just I rely on social media a lot. Okay. I, I haven't had any PR for it. I haven't had anyone help with the PR, which is actually my downfall. Okay. Um, because if I did, I think it could be, you know, it could be even better than um, we could have a bigger following, more people coming. It could be in timeout, but. It's actually my fault that I haven't actually done anything actively for the PR, apart from solely around social media, which actually has worked so well for us. I think, yes, like just your um, Instagram, and I'll kind of get onto social media a little bit more later, but I think the Instagram is so cohesive and it has such a distinctive like aesthetic and just like tone of voice and it's really really consistent I think that's the stuff that people are looking out for and when you kind of end up on someone's page that's the kind of thing that makes a difference between whether you follow it and stay following it or whether you just kind of click off again um but I'm intrigued I'm just I'm surprised that you haven't had any professional PR help just because of the kind of aura of it it looks very professional but obviously I understand you kind of have to it's like you know, where are you going to spend your money? Where are you going to spend your funds? Like PR is expensive. so expensive. Where are you going to spend your time? Mm. And it's like a long process as well. And the thing is as well, I suppose, because I know the kind of the PR that I know and how kind of PR works is that, you know, and to do it effectively, you kind of have to have it like months in advance. Mm. But if you're doing a pop-up that's only open for three months, you're mm. like, am I going to have a PR for six months for Absolutely. a space that's only open for three months? So. I guess it would be project-based. Yeah, I guess so. That's yeah. true, actually. 
One thing I also want to talk about is still kind of staying on the idea of retail is that we hear a lot or I hear a lot these days about the death of retail, like the death of the kind of high street. And it's all about online and e-commerce. Does Marina London, you have you have an e-commerce store for Marina London. Yes. Does the basic store have one? We, we are not an e-commerce site. Mm. We are just a click-through site. Okay. So if you do go on our website, you can um, look at our brand list. And then any brands that you like in store will be featured on that list. And you okay. click through. We take no commission. It's just very much a curated kind of website. Yeah. And you can shop directly with every designer. And they ship all ship worldwide. That's brilliant. Um, so it's just like a favor for them saying thank you for taking part. And also yeah. just creating a little community and doing something good. Yeah, make them more visible make yeah. like if people are like oh where you know that pair of earrings i can't think of the name i'll go onto the website mm. and maybe people see them there. do ask whether we will be an e-com and i think for well no, no. <laughs> for <laughs> now first, for now no it's too much work it's and you'll be competing with incredible people yeah um but so. my question for you is because you know because of the kind of the digital revolution we hear a lot about you know, the death of the retail stores and, you know, how like stores are closing and this kind of thing. But obviously you've managed to build, you know, a thriving retail store. It's come back four times or it's come back three times. And so I'm wondering for you and also just kind of looking around the space, like it is so well put together. I'm kind of wondering what you think the secret is to putting together like a great retail experience, like for people mm. coming in the door. Like what are the things that you try and make sure that you do in terms of that customer experience and like, the setup and the layout and the logistics of it really? Mm. I think that's a great question about the death of retail is that we feel that that retail is dying on the high street mm. in the sense that, you know, people, uh, shops are closing down. Mm. But in a way, it's, it's the rebirth of retail because I think pop-ups like this um, are a huge disruptor to traditional retail. And... You know, for example, the basic store is a disruptor, a tiny one. But if there's 50 of us on the high street, suddenly everyone is paying attention to this whole movement of pop-ups. And I feel that the demand is there for sure, because from our sales, we can see that people are shopping this, you know, in stores like this. This is not just to look pretty. People want to connect to the products. They, they like the story of each designer. If they know one designer and they come especially for them, they'll find out about 15 more. So it's this incredible sense of discovery and also just goodwill energy from all the brands. They bring in their own following. You know, I bring in my own following. By far, bring in their own following. So in the end, it becomes something really exciting. Yeah. And I know what you mean. I feel like there is a lot, well, I feel a lot more goodwill towards spaces like this compared to the big kind of high high street stores or you know the kind of big department stores because you know the first when I came in here a couple of weeks ago I met Jessie Harris whose jewelry is stopped upstairs and I was like just having a chat with her and then Marina said oh this is actually her jewelry and I was like you never get to meet the people behind the brands that you actually shop and it's so anonymous but here it's like you can really feel that there's like a real story behind each brand and actually one of the things that I've noticed um, I'm not sure whether it's the case this year but most of the designers that you stock or most of the brands you stock tend to be sort of women and female-run brands. Has that been a deliberate thing? No. Really? <laughs> it's just happened. I feel like a lot best. of businesses... <laughs> I feel women are, are feeling a little bit underrepresented and they're just finding their own ways of mm. doing great things. Mm. And there is such a huge space for... Um, for women to do amazing things through... You know, we dominate social media. And, you know, there's more women on social media for sure, I think, than yeah. men must be. I've got this feeling. I I don't know. No, I, I know uh, what you mean. 
So there's just, we've got an incredible platform and for some reason, all the people in here are women. Yeah. Apart from the furniture maker who is a man. Okay. <laughs> it's very like <laughs> difficult. Like, difficult. Okay. Yes. Um, and in terms of, because obviously you've kind of talked more about, I guess, the more kind of emotional or the kind of community side of how mm. you pick what to stock. But in terms of the more commercial considerations, like thinking about margins and thinking about that, like how does that affect what you choose to stop because I have no idea about how that works and mm. obviously you know you talked earlier about how you kind of moved away from wholesale because that just wasn't working for you from a, it doesn't work for a lot of small designers mm. from a financial point of view so you know obviously you're picking stuff that is beautiful and that you have a connection to but what's the kind of commercial side of it what do you what's the money side of it I think in terms of the brands taking part in the store it's let's say there's a brand I like and I want to invite them along uh, I pitch to them how much the rent is or how I will work with them. And then we just put them in store and see how they sell. At any one point, brands can pull out, which is, you know, very heartbreaking when sometimes they do. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to chain them to the basic store and make them sell here. If, they, if they're not happy with their sales, they're more than welcome to um, stop. Um, and some brands naturally make uh, more sales than others. It's just the way it works. It tends to be the brands that have a bigger following. You know, a lot of people come especially for the buy fast shoes, for yeah. example. They've got a huge Guilty. following. <laughs> yeah. So the good thing about that is they come in, but they also bring their friend along. Or, you know, and it becomes the community grows as a whole because of the input of other brands. So some brands naturally want to be here because they sell really well. And the ones that are trying to sell a little bit better, it's it's also a matter of improving some aspects perhaps of their social media just shouting out about being here a bit more and making sure that their customers know that they exist in a physical retail space too mm. um, and talk me through because I suppose it does change every time but there's also a lot of consistency that I've noticed between the different pop-ups but I'd quite like you to talk me through the kind of design aspect and the kind of fit out of the shop because it's beautiful and I think you have managed to kind of showcase all of the products really well. And that is, I think, quite, that's an important thing. But it's, no, it's kind of partly creative, but also, again, it's kind of quite sort of just a logistical thing. As a retail store, you have to think about how people are going to shop. But I do want to find out from a kind of creative point of view, like what was your creative process in terms of putting this space together and generally when you put the spaces together? Um, well, in terms of shop fit, when mm. I first started four years ago, it was a matter of, how can I make the shop look good with the least amount of money spent? Yeah, uh, which <laughs> <Fair> is, <laughs> I think, how it always starts. And plywood is just a, a type of wood that I really like. Um, just because it's light, um, it's bright, it reminds me of L.A., warmer climates. I tend to be very influenced by mm. um, L.A. and Australia. Nice. So um, I decided to use plywood as the core material, and then copper was something I was really into at the time it's four years later copper's not as cool anymore but we still use it <laughs> i think it looks, it looks timeless as far as i'm concerned just I for just, anyone yeah. listening um because obviously you guys can see it here sitting in the audience but a lot of the furniture in the store is made out of plywood and then the kind of railings that the clothes mm. are hung on are made from copper pipes yeah. where did you find those <laughs> you actually can just get them in any diy store oh really yeah i mean they're used for actual piping you know right waterworks <laughs> and things so it, everyone sells them but when you put them in a retail space they they're just quite minimal and neat mm. um so I decided to use them and they give a little bit of color as well which is nice 
and, and we just reuse the furniture every time. Okay, so you put that into storage and put it into storage, and then every time because the space grows, mm. we we just create more furniture to go inside. Has it gotten bigger each year? Yeah. Do you think you'll go make it bigger next year? I don't know. This is pretty big. This is a great, yeah, this is a great size. Yeah, it's yeah. really, uh, yeah, it's a brilliant size, but I'm like, how much bigger can it go? Like, no. it's amazing. <laughs> I think for now, this is great. Okay. It's a right. good size. Okay. I'm happy with this good. one. Um, and in terms of, I want to return back to social media. And I think maybe we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but how much does social media influence? I know that obviously social media has been very beneficial for the brand and for the following in terms of getting people in the store, but how much does that influence how you operate and how you run the store and the people that you stock and, you know, the way that you put it together visually, like how much are you kind of catering to social media with what you do? Because I know obviously sometimes you walk into certain stores and cafes and restaurants and you're like, this is like Instagram catnip. Like they've got like a <laughs> big neon sign and it's like they know exactly what they're doing, um, which is fair enough. And it works. And I know so many, you know, physical spaces that have done really well out of that. But I'm curious as to how you play that game because it is a very Instagrammable space. Yeah, I mean, I bear that in mind, but also mm. this is very, this this kind of aesthetic is something that's very me. So I, I like when things are cleaner and I love light wood in general. Mm. And everything I do, I do because I actually love the aesthetic that I try and create. But also I always do think about Instagram, obviously, and the way it looks. And if someone takes a photo, I want it to be to look nice visually because also the products stand out better that way. Yeah. And actually using plywood and very basic materials rather than over cluttering the space with very expensive shop fits mm. allows each product to sit really beautifully yeah. and stand its own kind of space. That's really um, true actually because I feel like I don't walk in here and look at the things that you're placing the products on, I'm just looking at it, like it displays the products really well. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. And also that is also a hint to everyone, make sure you Instagram loads this yeah. evening and put it on Instagram. <laughs> you don't have to, guys. Yeah. No, you don't have I'm to. saying that. No, but it'll be nice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> be honest. No, you don't have to. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a few general questions before I open things out to the floor because I'm sure everyone's got um, lots of questions, but just kind of more about, um, I guess, your day-to-day -day and how mm. you kind of go about um, managing a place like this. Like what does an average I was going to say day, but actually, what does an average week at work look like for you? Like, are you in the store most of the time, or mm -hmm. what do you spend your time doing? I'm here five days a week. When I open the store, I, I do dedicate myself to the store and I try and be here as much as possible um, because I just love when things are in place, when everything's dusted and hoovered properly. Um, you know, I like everything to be really perfect when someone comes into the store. So, I'm very much, I need to be around. Mm. Um, and then the great thing is, like you said, we have designers that come in to work in the store. So that's our staffing is actually done by people that design. Um, so we tend to have a little rotor. So they come in. So every day you, know, you have a different designer in store and you can talk to them, see how they're doing. If they've got anything coming in. And because this is a three month pop up this time, which is the longest one we've ever done, um, we we're getting new drops. So it's more exciting when there's things coming in consistently throughout the time period. Last time you were just open for three weeks. Really? Yeah, very quick one. And Last we had year. no updates. Yeah. Wow, that is short. Yeah. That is short. I thought I felt it felt like longer, but actually maybe that's yeah, anyway. Um and what is I mean I'm sure there must be many. Um, but I'm curious as to what is the most challenging aspect of what you do and of running this space. I guess the most challenging is trying to do all the admin mm. amidst 
obviously being in store and being actively uh, you know, trying to sell to customers. So just finding time to do all the admin that is to do with the basic store because we still don't have a point of sale system. So a POS um, system, which is actually something that when someone, a customer buys something, mm-hmm. um, usually the point of sale system, you just click on the product and mm-hmm. that goes into the system and it's logged and then it would give you the list of all the sales that you've done. Okay. Whereas at the moment we're doing it very 1970s <laughs> and we're doing it all on paper. So oh, wow. all the receipts are paper. So every single receipt that goes through, I have to then input into Excel. Oh, wow. That sounds and like a lot of admin. And then calculate how much every person gets paid. So it just takes a long time. Yeah. So I think that's the most dif- the most challenging thing. But a point of sale system is a bit of an investment. So oh, really? Okay. I, I was haven't about to done say that it's yet. a cost yeah. thing. Because also, yeah, thing. it's like, you know, like a big store, like a top shop. They can just like oh, yeah. do that. But you need like £1,500 for a point of sale. Oh, wow. And it's just something that... Yeah. If it's working, it's like you're yeah. still making the sales. It's just like a bit more admin time. Yeah, I think... Yeah, maybe one day we'll have to, definitely actually one day we'll have to do that because <laughs> the hand receipts are not fun. <laughs> the Excel spreadsheets, no. oh my God. Uh, um, and what do you think is the most surprising aspect of what you do? Like, what do you think people would be surprised by to learn about running the space? Or like, what were you surprised by when you mm-hmm. kind of started this kind of business? I guess, um, I think my love for retail. Oh, really? Something that just completely came out of nowhere. And I became so, I'm just so passionate about retail now. Yeah. It's um, also because it's changing. I find it very exciting yeah. to be involved in this. I think maybe because I'm involved, I feel there's like a tidal wave happening. Yeah. But uh, I'm not sure if everyone else thinks that. Um, but yeah, I think that's the most surprising is the fact that I've fallen in love with retail and what I'm doing mm. and much more, I have to say, than um, my brand. I think the funny thing yeah. is, from the outside... like I Which think I love as well, obviously. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> we love Marina London, <laughs> brand that's named after you. Yeah. Um, but I think from the outside, often people don't realise how creative retail is and how much of it is... You know, I think people kind of think of retail and it's like kind of they're like shops and it must be all quite logistical, which obviously is. Mm. But there's a huge element of creativity that goes into making a space like this work. Like it's like, Mm. yes, you need to have the back end system set up and you need to be logging your sales. But even just thinking about how you adapt to each new space and what you're stocking. Like I think Mm. I think it's a very it's one of those areas of kind of the creative industries that tends to get overlooked and people don't often think of it as being creative, but I think it mm. is very. It's also a bit scary, I think, when a lot of mm. people think of retail, it's it mm. sounds heavy um, and it's only through seeing different types of retail, like the basic store. If you go abroad, you go to LA, you see so much of this and that's when you open your eyes to what is possible within retail because there's so much opportunity mm. and I feel like this is just like the start for, of something really great for the, not the high street necessarily, but the side streets, mm. uh, because there's so many spaces to be had. Yeah. And people have great ideas, but it's about the commitment to uh, find a community around yourself mm. and create something with meaning that you feel passionate about and bring those people along with you. Um, but also if, don't just set it up because you feel like you have to... Uh, do something in retail but mm. try and solve a problem that really does exist yeah i think that's i think that's or, the or that's really, missing yeah something I, that's not there yeah i think that's what stands out actually about the basic stores like there aren't that many 
places that are kind of doing this kind of just the similar vibe the same um the same brands that kind of thing like yes mm. these brands you might be able to find them in certain places but also you've managed to curate like a selection that works really well together mm. and it's like chances are I know sometimes if you go into a store um and it's like you like one of the brands there but the other 10 brands you just kind of a pretty and um, ambivalent about but I remember when I came in here the first time I was like, oh my god I'm gonna be so broke this summer because it was like I like all of the brands here it's like you mm. kind of if you like mm. one thing in here then you'll probably like all of it and I think that is actually quite hard to find mm. in a lot of spaces and you kind of find yourself kind of sifting through so um my, another question I have for you actually is um around the kind of finance side of things um what is the key kind of finance or money lesson that you've learned over the years with running this space because I think with a space like this you know there's all sorts of upfront investments there's a lot you know mm. money is like a core concern so I'm just curious yeah, yeah. as to like what have you learned that maybe you might have done differently or you want to tell other people about I think the one thing which really helps for me personally when I uh, when I started the project at the very beginning was the fact that I was a designer myself mm. so I'm aware of the costs how much money I make as a brand, yeah. what my incoming, like, um, sorry, my um, income is, what my outgoings are. So I'm very hyper aware of brands and um, how much money they have. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not expecting brands to have 10 grand in their yeah. bank. No one does, has that. You know, you're running on tightrope. So I think that's the one thing that really helped me money wise is understanding that when you ask a brand for a certain amount of money you have to be sensitive about the amount you ask and mm. you have to be fair mm. so I think on the one side I've been very fair so that this can happen and we can mm. just open it but on the other hand in terms of making it into a business I would have to ask brands for more rent if this was to become a business model mm. or you know create uh, find an investor that upfronts the money mm. and then everyone operates on a seller return basis mm. which is I think the key to um, a store like this working really well. Sale or return? So sale or return means that brands bring in their products mm -hmm. and basically let's say you are a brand mm -hmm. you bring 50 pieces if you sell 20 of them uh, let's say you make 100 pounds mm -hmm. 50% um, of that comes to the store and 50% of that is yours. Okay. That's sale or return. Okay. And then the rest of the stock you take back. Just take, okay. Yeah. But at the moment, does it, the, because actually the way you've got it set up at the moment is that like everyone pays a portion of the rent, but I guess with other retail stores, sometimes they just have to buy all the stock and if they don't sell it, yes. then they're stuck with it and they've lost Absolutely. that money. Absolutely. Okay. Which and is that's why a dangerous. lot of retail is dying. Yeah. It's also because you try and be clever with how you buy stock, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day you have stock. Yeah. Whereas when you're working with a brand, they a lot of these brands actually have great followings online. They have great mm. presence online. So they hold stock naturally anyway, mm. which they would be more than happy to put somewhere. Yeah, that's true. So in a way, I'm almost like a, a carrier for their stock. Mm. and Might as well sell some of it whilst it's, it's instead of putting it in a storage facility, yeah. you might as well sell it. Mm. Um, so in a way, it's, it's, it's a great thing for the brands to put in their things mm. in here because they can sell. But the, the other side is that they only get 50% of their sales whereas so actually I didn't really explain that the store operates so half the brands pay fixed rent mm -hmm. and the other half work on seller return okay and what what determines which brands do you so what? it depends on their price points okay got it um if it's anything under 150 mm -hmm. that's seller return 
Okay. And if it's anything over that retail price point, mm-hmm. uh, it's fixed rent. And can you explain the logic of that to me? Why it's set up like the that? The logic of that is is just because at the very beginning, the way the basis store opened was it was just a fixed rent. Mm-hmm. But as I started to get smaller brands like magazines or mm. cards that are sold for £1.50, it's impossible to ask someone for £1,000 yeah, up front yeah, yeah, when they are no way going to make £1,000 back. Okay, got it. So by working on sale or return, you're able to work with those brands. Okay. But you, you do take a bigger percentage of their sales okay. so that that money goes towards the rent. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I try to make it as democratic as possible. Yeah, you really are. That's, I feel I like it's very so different careful. from a lot of other <laughs> yeah. retail, um, retail companies. Um, my final question before I kind of open it out to the floor, because I'm sure everyone's got stuff they want to ask, is what is the kind of one key bit of advice that you'd give to someone else who wanted to open a physical shop, like a retail space? So that's, what's the one key thing, mm. any of the areas that you wish you'd known going into this? I think have a really good idea of how you're going to pay your rent yeah so if you do sell a return understand where your um, investment is going to come up front to pay for the rent Mm -hmm. Um, if you decide to do a fixed rent model Mm -hmm. then um, that's great but make sure the brands are fully committed I just think make sure you get your finances in place Mm -hmm. Um, and I'd wish maybe I'd known to be honest I am that's not a very good answer. Because no, it's a brilliant answer. Like, get your money straight. Like, yeah. I think that's probably something that a lot of people kind of don't even think about as much mm. or they kind of assume that it will just work out. But when when it's a physical space and the rent in a place like this, I imagine it can't be cheap. That's a lot of money. Mm. That you need to think about where that's going to come from. And also, you need to figure out whether you want to go through a company like Appear here. Which, which is, is what you've done. Which is how I started. Okay. So I've done three stores with them and then two uh, with directly with the landlords. Okay. This one is directly through the landlords. Okay. Because um, just they, they didn't have any spaces on Monmouth Street up here. Yeah. here. I tend to always work with them mm-hmm. um, because they're a really good company. But um, this time I just went with um, Shaftesbury Estate. Okay. Who operate here. Okay. Um, is the process much different? It is much different. Okay. It's better. I mean, it's lower than as y- if you would go with a peer here. Yeah. But I think, let's say you want to open a shop for a week, mm. you have to go through a peer here because yeah. landlords don't want to hear anything about a and week. That's, and that's why, yeah. that's how their business model started, is the fact that mm. people couldn't find kind of shorter pop-up spaces or yeah. landlords were also having places maybe sitting empty for like three weeks mm. in between tenants. And it's like, well, you can still make money out of that. So. Yeah, but also landlords don't, let's say you're a, a you know, you want to open a shop. Mm through directly through a landlord usually it'll be a five-year lease yeah exactly. so you sign the paper and that means five years you have to be in there if you can't do it then you have to declare the whole company bankrupt to exit pretty no, much you just it's that. really hard yeah so Pierre came in and they you know they solved that problem um but for example with hit with this space um three months was the minimum Okay. They would allow me to be here. Okay. They're actually trying to push for six. Okay. Um, and I just can't do six. Yeah, yeah. Three is optimum. I yeah, think yeah. that's like the best amount of time for a pop-up. Kind of people kind of yeah. can kind of be like returning customers. And they kind mm. of tend to get familiar with it. But also it's a length of time that you're happy doing. Yeah. But also just doing it for a week if you're just starting is a really great way of testing the market. You know, if you've got an idea, you want to try it out, open it for a week. That's enough to invite enough people make sure you get a lot of hype beforehand 
Um, so during that week, you get optimum amount of people coming in and then make the most of that and see if it works. But also do something that comes really naturally to you or you feel really good at. You know, if you want to do a really incredible, full, uh, rich space with a lot of color and everything, you should do that because there's so many so many people that want different things. Yeah. There's a lot of space for different ideas. Yeah, yeah. that's really true. That's yeah. a good note in which to open things out to the floor. Um, does anyone have any questions for Marina? Um, I can imagine that setting up your first retail space may have been quite daunting. How did you overcome the fear so that you could actually move forward and do what you wanted to do? Um, to open my, f I guess the fear, I was looking for a retail space for so long that I, I didn't even have any fear at this point. I was just, I knew the brands I was coming in with, how much we all were willing to spend. And so when we found found the right space, you just had to make it happen. So you had this idea and you wanted to collaborate with other brands. How did you progress from the idea to having the confidence to pitch to other brands in a manner that made them feel that this was something they too wanted to invest in? Okay, that's a good question. Um, Firstly, I, I had to start with a name and a brand identity. So if you want to create a space, it's good to not just call it the name of your brand, for example. Try and create a name that's unique to the space and to the brand you're trying to create. Um, and then visually, just make it attractive. Try and create a logo. Um, do a few great sentences about what you're trying to achieve uh, with your idea. Um, even just go on to Pinterest and find shops that you think could be similar to what you're going for and just put it in a uh, presentation pack, even something really basic. Um, and uh, <laughs> something really simple. Uh, and then uh, it's, it's very much about the words and the message and visually, if you can attract the kind of person you're pitching to, they will, they're very likely to say yes because people are looking for retail space if they're a brand. Everybody that has a brand is looking to be in retail somehow. So there's just so many brands that want to do things. So if you if you pitch the right ones, there's no reason why they wouldn't say yes. Um, but yeah, have a really clear vision and a good presentation pack, I think. Um, and then explain to them how you know, let's say you pick a street, just say, this is how much footfall is usually there. I went there that day. I stood around for three hours. This is the kind of person that was going past. Just try and be as active um, as possible before um, trying to even get the space. Hang around the area, check it out. That's always so useful. And see whether there is any footfall, because actually I would say location is, I, I found the most important thing. Um, because initially when you start something, you might have a thousand people that you're going to invite, but actually footfall makes the biggest difference. It's just random people coming in. Um, so getting a location right is really key. Uh, and that's like the biggest investment, I would say, is get the right location for the type of thing you want to do. Because let's say your brand is should be in East London, you put it in Notting Hill, it's, it's no good. So yeah, make sure you're in the right location for the type of project you want. It's super inspiring what you've built here. I would love to hear what are some of your wildest dreams for what the next one to five years looks like? That's such a sweet question. And, and I mean, sweet um, message. Um, um, I think 
with the basics. So there's some things that are kind of brewing that I can't really speak about. Um, that you know, not, nothing like yeah. I mean, it's nothing, but um, you know, it's exciting because it's such a big field that's just opened up for retail, and that's why I want a lot of people to take advantage of. Um, doing something in retail there's so much space for us to do things you know this room is full of women you know <laughs> one one lad two lads uh, but you know we create amazing communities around each other and it's great to do something really valuable with that and I think we're doing it anyway I mean I think it's happening um, but in terms of the basic store um, I think we'll, I have to say we'll see yeah hopefully something really exciting yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so you've talked about finances, and I have two questions. First one, uh, so is it um, profitable, the, the business model you've implemented? And the second one is, is it sustainable to operate on a pop-up model all the time? Okay, good questions. So financially, uh, the store makes, and like I have to say, it makes really good money as a whole, but all the money goes back to the designers. So it's not profitable in the sense that, you know, at the end of the day, the basic store has just got loads of money. It does not, I mean, it makes great money, but all the money does go back to the designers. So it's not profitable in terms, I mean, for example, the last one we had 1,500 left in the bank. But that's partly because of the model that you've chosen, which is that you're not taking as big a cut or any compared to what most other models do. Yeah. So that would change if you change your. I'm not. I'm not saying that in a bad Absolutely. way. But I'm saying, but there's. It's mm. good to make the distinction between it making a lot of money yes. and what is left at the end for you, mm. and that's a decision you've made. Yes. So the reason why I I myself do it is because I sell Marina London, which is my brand, and that's how I make money here. Um, and you know, Marina London does do very well here, so it justifies me being here myself. And I work really hard. I don't pay myself to be physically here, uh, but it doesn't matter because Marina London, you know, pays for me to be here in a way, um, and that's fine for me. Um, and in terms of going forward, if I did want to make it into a financial model and have actual investors, which I have in have had interest. Um, I would have to change a lot of things, which could be to the detriment. So if I increase the rent, a lot of brands will say no, uh, just because asking for any more is quite a lot for a lot of brands. So it would have to be a really uh, intelligent way of changing the financial model, uh, which is why I say sale or return, I think, is the only option here. Uh, but let's say a brand, uh, like by far, makes 10 grand in four weeks, uh, if they're on sale or return, I would get five grand in a month. Whereas when they pay fixed rent, they pay a thousand pounds a month. So for them, it makes sense to pay the fixed rent. Um, so it's just tricky to keep the balance. Whereas for a card business, 50%, absolutely, they don't even ask any questions. Um, so it's just trying to be clever about how to balance it if I do want to turn it into uh, a business model. And what was the other question, the one? Is it sustainable to operate on a pop-up model? Absolutely. I think um, very much so. It's, you make good money and you do it for a very good cause and you have fun doing it. So that's why I'm trying to like encourage as many people to do it because it's, it's a real business. It's not just something that looks nice. If you do it the right way as well.
with the right intention, you know, that kind of thing, it, it can work, absolutely. I think more than actual traditional retail. Because also there's months of the year where you just don't sell as well. You know, September, October, dead. Feb <laughs> January, February, March, you don't want to be selling then. Better to skip them. Yeah. Summer, leading up to Christmas, is when you want to be open. Open for three months, perfect. It's great. Yeah, you're, Have you, a holiday for two. Honestly, it's this great. is like the perfect like holiday yeah. shop. Honestly, there's like swimming costumes upstairs. I'm going on holiday. <laughs> um, do we have any more questions? Yes, we do. So my question is that, so you only do this once a year? Once or twice. Once or twice. But at the moment, just once. Okay. Yeah. And then I kind of understand that you determine the length of time. This one, I'm assuming it's because you went direct to Sandlord. Minimum was three months. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, when you go through peer here, you, you choose your times, right? Absolutely. It and could be a day. what makes you decide that? Um, it's, I tend to... I would say the location makes a difference. So with someone, someone like Covent Garden, uh, three months was a great time frame for me. I didn't even question it because I knew it would be a great footfall location. Um, somewhere like Notting Hill, which was a bit of a risky um, location because it was on the Ledbury Road, which was a little bit off the beaten track. I wanted to test it more. So I was only there for three weeks. Um, so it just depends... Also, how much you want to be there. Let's say you, if you're the one operating the store, how much time do you want to be in that store? Because that's the most important thing. You have to be happy. You can't operate when, you know, you're, first of all, you're unhappy. <laughs> and second of all, um, if you can't be there the whole time. So it's, it's very much up to you, actually. There's no secret formula to how long you should do one for. You could do a really great one for two weeks. Yeah. Thank you. That was really informative. I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, my question is, I guess, a more direct question in regards to a lot of the things that you've insinuated throughout. So this model and what you're doing and what you've been doing over the past couple of year, four years is really innovative and it's really exciting. And I guess I just wanted to ask directly what your thoughts are on this being a model that people could replicate and people are thinking about doing what are your thoughts on the fact that there might be a few other brands that think about doing this exact thing kind of inspired by the basic store and mm -hmm. operating in the same way that you're operating kind of here yeah great question uh I'm I'm very happy about that to be honest I'm not a, like, a very protective person um I think the more people that do it the better the energy and the better the communities we create so I'm very very happy for people to do that I think it's also, on the other hand, though, it's it's good if you do something to have a point of difference also. Have a slightly different message. Why did you start it? Even in terms of aesthetics, you know, it could be quite similar, but, you know, add your touch to it. Do something different. Um, perhaps bring designers that, um, you know, others might not have heard of, but you want to bring light to, because then that will be incredibly special to, to that store, you know. Um, and there's just so many brands so many amazing brands out there so there's there's plenty of choice go on an instagram hole and just there's so much to see it's, yeah it's just good. as a kind of comment to that i think one of the yeah. things that i think i've taken away most from what you're saying um even within the business model is that so much of what you've done has been based on how you feel and what what it is that you like and enjoy mm. so even if someone was to re replicate exactly what you've done it would be to replicate it based on how they feel because so much of what you've done yeah. is just kind of subjective and kind of you winging it potentially or just kind of absolutely out what you like, yeah like and is, also very reactive yeah. yeah okay thank you oh, thank you that's very very sweet
Thanks. I was just wondering in terms of like, because I think um, I'd find the whole idea quite risky, but I was wondering, um, the brands that you get on board that pay the rent, have you sort of um, broken even before you've even taken the financial risk of setting up the store, like paying the la So do you feel like comfortable, we just need to make some money? Like, you know, it's that scary first. Absolutely. So a lot of the time, Marina London lends the basic store some money <laughs> uh, to start off with. Because also when you contact brands to um, take part, um, you know, when I find a space, I have to be really quick to react because these spaces sometimes are not just sitting here for ages. You have to be like, yes, I have to act, act, act. And that happens in three weeks. So you say to a brand, can I have a thousand pounds in a week? They're like, okay, but then they won't pay for two weeks or something. And that's fine. Um, well, it would be nice if they paid on time. But uh, on the other hand, you also, and I love them, my acquaintances, so I know they will pay. Um, you, it's good to have some safeguard, but I tend to invest some of uh, what Marina London makes into the basic store. As we start to operate, obviously the brands pay their rent which then would match the rent that is needed to pay the landlords. So eventually, obviously, the basic store pays Marina London back. But there is definitely, a, you do need to consider that safety net of some sort of investment coming either from yourself um, or from somewhere before all the brands pay their rent. And then the sale or return uh, brands, are the rest, they kind of add the buffer for shop fit, um, if we need to buy Lural, cleaning products, you know, the guy needs to clean the window at the front. Um, there's a few costs, like Petalon Flowers are actually one of our um, brands, but we sell the bunches, but we hardly sell any. It's actually more of a an investment to have them looking pretty. So that's actually a cost to us, Petalon. Um, so there's just a few things that are very, you just have to be reactive with the way it works. Um, and yeah, the initial investment, you have to just bear that in mind that some brands won't pay today. They'll pay like and, a week and later. And are the brands paying for, because you obviously have staff as well. So mm -hmm. the amount they pay to have their space includes those things, like the st staffing of the shop. The staff, yeah, the staff. And actually, um, some brands that are based in London tend to come and work. Okay. So oh, for yeah, example, like yeah, yeah. Jessie Harris, um, she comes in. Rina Sala does really beautiful jewellery. She's been in a lot and funnily enough, they do find that if they come in, they they sell more. It's really strange. I don't know whether it's the energy, but also some people come in and if they interact with the product, they can not attack them. No, I always say don't do that. But just um, you know, just be just explain the story because people love when they come in here. They they come for some sort of story. Um, so the staffing with the brands or the designers is actually a really great aspect, which also means we don't pay for staffing. Yeah. I suppose a bit like a cooler trade fair, because I suppose if it was a trade fair, the people... Yeah, I want there. brands to treat it like, you know, this is a show space. Yeah. So if they want to invite uh, a bunch of clients or, you know, they want to showcase their things to um, a wholesaler, or any, I want to come in and just use the space however they like. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's, I'm very open to anything happening here. Thank you all so much for your questions and thank you all so much for coming. Um, and thank you, Marina, for being so honest and open and sharing so much about your story and your experience with us like I feel like I've learned so much and I hope you guys have as well um do please stick around 
grab a drink, shop some stuff. Um, we're both going to be around, so do come and kind of say hi and ask us any questions that you haven't had a chance to. Um, for more career inspiration, do please follow Women Who at Women Who on Instagram and Twitter or head to our website, www.womenwho.co forward slash newsletter to sign up for our month weekly newsletter the roundup and you can find me at Otega Uagba on Instagram and Twitter you can find the basic store at the basic store and Marina London at Marina London on Instagram and yeah see you next time thank you Yeah.